Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you You'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. It's a babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. Voodoo. You do. Do what? My name is the babe. I saw my baby. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 16 of the No Popcorn Film and Music Podcast, the big brother that snuck you into the cinema when you were a kid of the No Encore Music Podcast, all available on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Delighted to be back on this film show, I suppose. David Higgins, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Had a little break away. Excited to be back in the back in the film game. Yeah. Uh, the last time we uh, did one of these, it was around the time of the Irish general election. So. That went well. Yeah, still continues to go well. Mm-hmm. It's me cracking open a can of beer. Uh, coronavirus sweeping the nation. I mean, I don't know when this episode's going to go out, so maybe it's been fixed by now. I don't know. There's a government, and there's no coronavirus. Yeah. All those things could be a thing, but unlikely. The one constant in our lives, though, is friends, I believe, and the friendship that we that we have you know, on, on, on this podcast and beyond those walls. And that's why making her no-popcorn debut, occasional no-encore roustabout guest, You've seen her work in Totally Dublin, The Irish Times, Sunday Business Post, The Thin Air, 
lots of other places. She's a regular fixture in RTE Arena, trashing Irish albums and albums from around the world, while also occasionally finding a few highlights. And this was her choice. This film is Labyrinth, and this contributor is, of course, Zara Hederman. Hello. How are you? I'm good, yeah. So you've wanted us to do this film for a very long time. I would say I've been on your case for about three and a half to four years. It's before we even started doing yeah. that popcorn. Yeah. You are like, start a podcast, talk about Labyrinth. Purely so I can express my love <laughs> for this film. Okay, we, we will get there. Um, it might not be a, a room full of love, so I guess we'll have to just see how it goes. But as is the case with No Popcorn, we always start with what we've been watching recently. David Higgins, I throw to you. So... I had myself, well, I'll, I'll start this. Um, I think I, I shared a, a message with you. Uh, I recently shared a birthday. I also have a birthday with uh, No Popcorns Norma Howard. And I entered my 35th year watching one of my favourite films, Dublin Indemnity. And since then, I've kind of been on a bit of a, a noir kick. Um, everyone has, some people have like their ASMR videos. If I stick on an old movie, I just find it the most relaxing thing in the world. Like pacing acting like they're not frenetic in the editing you know camera works pretty static it's just like an easy thing to like to dip into so on a saturday afternoon we had storm jorge i popped on the big sleep i think i was talking about bogey and bacall last time and how i I just watched one of their movies stuck that on um you know a movie i love love the book um it's kind of you know where do you even begin to, to to compliment it it's incredible just an amazing adaptation of Chandler um, that was incredibly done by William Faulkner and Lee Brackett, who ended up writing Star Wars. The most, most important thing is the movie that came after it. And this was like not an intentional. I wasn't like trying to curate a day. I was just wanting to watch a, a movie later on with my girlfriend. And we were like, oh, what can we watch? It's like, I want something fun, something I've seen, um, something not too long. And we ended up on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. Oh, my God. A perfect noir double bill. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, decades apart. Um, I hadn't watched it since I was like a little bit younger. Uh, And I liked it when I was younger, but I hadn't realized just how incredible it was. This is a movie that is in love with Hollywood, in love with film noirs, in love with animation, and kind of manages to blend them all together into... A immensely entertaining film. Um, a film that a lot of it went over, I guess, when I was a kid. Um, this was kind of, I guess, a Disney film, even though they didn't release it. They released it with, by Touchstone the same way they did The Nightmare Before Christmas. There's some stuff in this film <laughs> that is not for children. Oh. Have you I seen it? I, like when I was maybe 11 or something. So yeah. I haven't seen it since so I was like, a child. Straight off the bat, you have cartoons just being dipped in acid like it's an episode of Breaking Bad uh, <laughs> you have a you have a baby in it uh, baby Herman I think who, who like acts with Roger who is like this cigar smoking baby who and I quote has a 50 year old lust and a 3 year old dinky <laughs> oh does it actually say that in the film yeah and then like uh, and then that's before you even get to, to Jessica Rabbit this incredible mm. femme fatale um incredibly curvaceous like they the, the jokes about the size of her breast like there's there's a scene there's like one point where Bob Hoskins is like getting up and like hits her in the breast and it makes like a comic boing, boing, boing. <laughs> it's just like that's the only thing pretty... I remember from it yeah, yeah the boing, boing, boing. the thing that stuck with you yeah <laughs> it was uh, Christopher Lloyd's eyes flying out of his skull that stuck with me yeah he's genuinely terrifying it yeah, this is supposed to be a kids movie I mean, I mean it is so the thing about that, that I was saying is like this is a Disney film Disney let them use 
Mickey Mouse, uh, Daffy Duck, Goofy. Um, I can't And then you have like Bugs Bunny. So you have like everything from your childhood, but brought into this like really kind of weird film. Like you have like Bob Hoskins, who isn't really a star at all at that stage. I'm sure he done like the long Good Friday. Um, And then you. Hang on. I have to stop you there. You can stop me. The Long Good Friday. A gangster film that includes the debut performance, silent by the way, throughout the film, of, do you know who it is? I don't. Pierce Brosnan. What? No way. It's his debut. Pre Taffin? He, he plays an IRA hitman, and he's the guy in the back of the car at the end when Bob Hoskins realised that he's going to be brand bread, mate. Oh boy. Is that a Sorry, spoiler? Because I, I haven't seen that film. I mean, it's an amazing film. But What's more, it called again? The Long Good Friday, right? What's this movie called that you spoiled for me? <laughs> It's, the Longest Friday <laughs> is, is an exceptional film from the 80s. Helen Mirren's in it as well. Okay. Bob Hoskins chewing the scenery. But better than all of that, by the way, guys, is this. How'd you like that? That was absolutely incredible. Maybe like, the greatest theme tune of all time. It's pretty phenomenal. I'm, I'm very much on board to watch this film. Yeah, it's fucking. It, it's a great, great film. Okay. It's fantastic. What else, Higgins? Um, I took a trip to the cinema yesterday. Um, I went to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, this is Celine Siama's uh, latest film about a portrait painter who goes to an island in Brittany in... It's like the 17, 1750, in and around before the French Revolution, um, to paint a picture of a woman of kind of like mild aristocracy that is basically they want to give this portrait to a um, a well-to-do person from Milan to decide whether or not he will uh, he'll marry her, and it's kind of just about the the relationship that develop over time becomes romantic. Um, it absolutely knocked me for six like it's stunningly composed um lighting in it is gorgeous and um, the two lead performances um adele hanel and noemi merlon are i'd never seen them anything before their chemistry is amazing there's like barely any dialogue in it so like the entirety of their relationship is just developed over these incredibly like strong looks and every single one of them is like pregnant with massive feeling and yeah it's like no music at all almost except for like you know one or two bits but they have to be diegetic has an all-timer ending i'm not obviously going to reveal the ending but it was kind of a film where it's like you know sometimes you're watching a movie and you can tell that it's coming to the end and then there's a there's kind of either a fade to black or like a scene cuts and you're like that's it that's where you cut it and then they add a little bit more on you're like ah i think you i think you missed your out there and then there was another another option and i was like Oh, the, okay, okay, you built to that. That's perfect. Like, knockout. And it's like, oh, and then another one. It's like, oh, no, you, you can't. Not a hope. And then the way that they end it is just, like, jaw-dropping. It's phenomenal. Um, highly, highly recommend it. Also need to give a shout-out um, to Adele Hanel the other night at the, the Césars we're on, the, the French Oscars. Um, she walked out. Yeah. She did a incredible... Walk out, uh, Roman Polanski won. While shaking her head and muttering to herself was great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah very good. Uh, Roman Polanski won uh, Best Director for Jack Hughes. She walked out, did one of the 
all-time sarcastic claps, like give her an award for this, while shouting, bravo le pedophilie. <laughs> Which I'm sure everyone can yeah, vouch guess for. what that means. Zara Hederman, you've uh, been very busy, of course, as well, apart from um, dropping truth bombs like that. <laughs> you went to the cinema twice to see the same film in the space of a fortnight. I what did. film could it possibly be? Um, so I'm actually really bad with watching films and going to the cinema. Um, I'm a bit of a repeat offender as that going to the cinema twice to see the same film. So I saw Parasite twice. Absolutely incredible film. Just the second time as well seeing it. Knowing what was going to unfold just really made it, I don't know, it really made the story just fly by. Like it went by so quickly the second time I saw it, but the first time it felt very like nicely paced. Whereas this time it was just everything was like hit me in the face. And I went with a friend who hadn't seen it and her reaction at one particular point was just so priceless. Like I wish I had had it on tape or video because she just turned to me in the cinema and was like what <laughs> what's gonna happen now no and i was just like strap in like it so you, gets you were pretty basically hardcore. like all those people after the, the red wedding in game of thrones who'd like read the books and they were like you know or like sneakily like filming uh, everyone on the side um that was you that was me yeah okay. so i was very excited so i saw that twice both times like got leaving the cinema after that film is just like the two of us were just not really able to talk to each other. But otherwise in film, I watched a film for the very first time that is actually quite embarrassing and pretty shameful that it's taken me twenty eight years to see. Citizen Kane. What? Yeah. I guess it's one of those ones, you know, you, you hear the hype of it so often, it might be easy to be like, fuck that, man. You yeah. Know, it's a real, it's, it's such a knee-jerk thing to recommend, but it is, it is it's very, it's a good movie. unbelievable film, obviously, because like, you know, it's regarded so highly. So, <laughs> I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. Yeah. Um, I think on the Parasite thing, it's good to know that you're more on, you know, the wavelength of people who are correct and not the wavelength of Donald Trump slash Brian McFadden because mm. uh, that wouldn't Does be Brian very McFadden good. Does Brian McFadden not like Brian McFadden uh, quote that's, tweeted that's funny. A, Has he called Bong Joon-ho out for a fight? <laughs> <laughs> Me and you in the ball alley Bong. <laughs> Fix this. He uh, Ocho was shite. He quoted he, and I'm not mad about that Snowpiercer film either. He quoted uh, a Variety article about Trump saying that you know uh, what a shame about this South Korean film winning the Oscar, bringing back Gone with the Wind. And Brian McFadden said, we're all thinking the same. Wow. And a drunk me, by the way, at around like midnight that night, quoted him and went, no, we're not, you fucking moron. And then I immediately deleted Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was dear. like, I've already called him out recently on, on the ISIS thing, so fuck, I'm not going to get into it. Now, you might ask, <laughs> listener, what have I been watching lately? Well, I mean, you, you might be surprised that I may have found myself sitting down for a fourth time... On this. No, once the plane touches down in El Segundo, it'll be the end of an era for both of them. When you come to the end of the line with a buddy who is more than a brother and a little less than a wife, getting blind drunk together is really the only way to say farewell. Thank you. 
That's right. So, David Higgins, I put a message into the group chat as I I put in a photograph of the opening frame of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I said, you know, like four times a charm or something. <laughs> what was your response? I got, I I almost feel like I need to check my phone. I can't remember what you I said. said to you said I am officially worried. Yeah, you you've now reached the stage of your life where the only way I can describe your relationship with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that of Harry Redknapp's with Nico Cranchar, <laughs> <laughs> where he just doesn't know how to stop. <laughs> so, in my defence, I was in... Is there a defence, yeah. though, for watching that film four times? I'll watch, Thinking, it, I'll watch it again. It, it, hasn't, me. it hasn't been <laughs> in the right world now. for... What, what are we at now? It, it was released in August. We're now... <laughs> we've just finished February, so we're about... Seven months? It's been out seven months in the world and you've watched it four times? It's you true. also watched That's it in a country where you're on holiday. Twice. Twice? Yeah, twice. Oh, I thought you only went to the cinema no. once. I went to cinema three times in Toronto and twice to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The other film was Midsummer, which sucks. I'll never watch that again. Is that such a I damning indi- indictment of, uh, you know, Toronto's tourism? You know, you go to the... What's it? Is it... What's the tower? CN Tower? I didn't go to the CN Tower, but I went to baseball game, I went to wrestling, I went to museums. I, I got it all you in. packed it in. I was there for 10 in. days, mate. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd go again. <laughs> so i tell you about like you when I... Six of those, one quarter of a day <laughs> of those 10 days. When I, went to see a, when I went to see the second time, I think it was like 35 millimeter or something. And I remember like okay. being in the lobby outside afterwards and there was this old woman who was talking to her, her, her friends who she saw the film with. And she was like, what happened? And then she was like, that was awful. But then she goes... But that Leonard DiCaprio, he was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, Leonard DiCaprio. Wow. Now, in my defense, right, I'm in Dahi's gaff. It's a Sunday. It's a rainy day. And we're kind of, we watched a bunch of Curb Enthusiasm the new season. Not bad. And then we're like, we'll watch a film. We'll be we a bit of a shortlist going. And it was down to like the nice guys and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But Brendan Canty was there, friend of the show. And, you know, he said, oh, I literally just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the plane home the other day, like two days ago. So we figured, oh, that's out. And then he goes, I'd, I'd, I'd watch it again. So <laughs> we're on just as bad as you two are. days after. All those names you just dropped there. Brendan Canty, Leonard DiCaprio. <laughs> Doggy <Donnie> O'Droney. <laughs> uh, fourth time, man. It just gets better and better. It's my favourite Quentin Tarantino film, which should be obvious by now. Uh, I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Uh, and I guess the other night, also in Dahi's, uh, I took in uh, Shutter Island. Ten years on from Martin Scorsese's I've Shutter Island. I've never seen that film. I'd be really curious. I watched it with uh, No Popcorn co-host Norma Howard, who, I mean, I guess I don't want to put go major spoilers here for a film that's there and people may not have seen. It's a mystery film. And it's kind of all is not what it seems, you know? Um, this isn't me just being a, a prick, but when I saw the trailer for the film, I was like, I think I know what, what's going on. And I was correct. But it's more, it's more about how you get there. I think the film actually, you know, it's not out to trick you. I think it's out to be like, figure it out, man. So... Life's a marathon, not a sprint. Precisely. Approximately, I want to say less than 10 minutes in, Norma was like, hang on a minute. That's weird. And then she was like, wait, hang on. She was like, is this is this supposed to be a bit off? And me and Dahi were just like giving each other the eyes. And she's like, why is like why is DiCaprio's character so stupid? And we're like, keep watching the film. Uh, and there was loads of these instances where like it was just uh, phenomenal. Also, during the scene with Jackie Earl Haley, Norma was, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, she was cowering on the couch, like, you know, Homer Simpson pulling a, a blanket up over him and he, all you can see are, are eyes. So He's oh, genuinely terrifying. It's a terrifying scene. Yeah. I actually forgot how kind of scary and also occasionally brutal that film is. It doesn't hold back. No, it does not. I think it's a fucking great film. You don't. I yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. It looks great. You know, obviously it's like 
It looks remarkable. It's possibly one of like, which is a weird thing to say for a movie that's like so, you know, gray and kind of dour at times and like it's, you know, perpetually in a storm on that island. It is one of Scorsese's like kind of most beautiful films, just like beautiful bursts of color in it. Um, DiCaprio is good. Ruffalo is good. I just, I can't make any emotional attachment to it at all. And that is even with the presence of like my tear kryptonite <laughs> on the soundtrack. I think this is probably the fifth or sixth time we've talked about on the nature of daylight. It pops up. I had completely forgotten that that uh, piece of music was in there. And when it popped up, I was like, oh my God, there yeah. it is. There's a weird vocal, there's a vocal version at the end where yeah. it's like, this is terrible. Yeah, no, not, not, it's, not so good. It, it's very much Pulp Fiction. It's based on like what's clearly a fucking airport novel, but there's something about it. I find it very watchable. If I was to pick a pulpy Scorsese movie, I'm probably, even though it's a kind of a nasty piece of work, I'll probably take Cape Fear over it. Fair enough. Oh, Cape Fear is brilliant. Also, so just good. on Shutter Island, shout out for that cast, man. Ben Kingsley's having the time of his life. Mm-hmm. Maximum Sado is always good value. Ted Levine? Are you kidding me? That sequence he's in? <laughs> I feel like we could have done a bit better for Michelle Williamson if that's about... True, but she does a great job with what she's given. Yeah. Jackie Earl Haley is amazing in his moment. I think Ruffalo does a great job. Emily Mortimer, Patricia Clarkson. I could Holy name them Mody, all. That it is, is a stacked cast. One of the other things, did it come out before or after Inception? About two or three months beforehand, and DiCaprio's kind of playing the same character. Yeah, right? it, I think it was... <laughs> I mean, I obviously I, I saw Shutter Island before I saw Inception, but I kind of just intertwined them because they came so close, and it's just like, I want DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mode, or the Quaalude scene in Wolf of Wall Street mode. It's like, there's only so much suppressed anger or suppressed emotions of DiCaprio that I can kind of put up with, and Shutter Island is kind of all that. True. I will say that now that we're coming up on, I know it was released 10 years ago in the States, I think it's 10 years ago in Ireland in March. So maybe I should do an article about like contrasting DiCaprio's character with that of Inception and arguing that the Shutter Island was more compelling. I'll definitely do that if I still have a job. So let's find out how that goes. Is that just an excuse though as well to uh, watch Once Upon a Time in America again? Or Hollywood. Hollywood. No. I've always called it that have, Okay, real quick. I've called it Once Upon a Time in Mexico, so it's fine. <laughs> real quick, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if you had or not. Okay. Not a fan? No. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. But you are a fan of the film that we are here to talk to. Uh, talk to? <laughs> talk about. I wish. I'm flustered. It's like, this is your life where David Bowie just comes back from the dead. That would be really Jared. inappropriate now. But he is the leading light in this film. This film is called <laughs> Labyrinth. Let's give you a taste. Alright, David Higgins, tell me about Labyrinth. Um, so Labyrinth is the third feature film of Jim Henson, most famous for The Muppets, um, and The Dark Crystal. So the Dark Crystal, uh, Labyrinth is Jim Henson reuniting with Brian Froud, who created the, the creatures in The Dark Crystal. They wanted to work together again. Um, they were captivated by goblins. They, they had this idea of goblins, particularly the idea of a a baby sitting amongst goblins. So that was kind of the, the seed for this movie. Um, Jim Henson kind of worked on a, a story with a children's author, Dennis Lee, and then got uh, Terry Jones of Monty Python fame to write a screenplay. Screenplay kind of got lots of different rewrites by a multitude of different people like 
George Lucas and Elaine May. Um, they eventually went searching for their cast. Uh, they wanted to bring a musical element into it, so they ended up with Bowie after kind of consideration for basically anyone who was in any way uh, and kind of an enigma at that time, like Prince and Michael Jackson. I don't know how serious they were about them. And yeah, they filmed it with his... Jim Henson Company, people who worked on Sesame Street, some people who worked on Spinning Image. And yeah, that's kind of the the background. There's, there's not a huge amount to it. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of work went into it, but in terms of just how they got there. Zara. Yes. This is your favorite film of all time. Yes. This is, uh, that's quite a statement. Yeah. So, so much so that um, well, I remember when I saw it for the first time, I think I was maybe about like seven or eight and was just completely blown away by it. Like, I think there was a, a VHS of it at home. Um, and I was really captivated by all the goblins, thought they were class, didn't even really comprehend that such creatures weren't real. And then in my mom's house, um, it's like kind of out in the countryside. And I used to, in our garden with my dog, pretend and reenact the entirety of the labyrinth in the garden, in the house, with the dog, it's so much my favourite film that for my confirmation, I chose the name Sarah as my confirmation confirmation name based on the character of Sarah. So, yeah. That's a strong co-sign on a movie. It's the only film I think that I have rewatched and will gladly rewatch at least twice a year. Um, just like, and also like the importance of that film, looking back on it now. Like the things that film did to my imagination was just stupefying to the point, like just like the mooching around my garden. I I stole as well, like my older sister's communion shoes to do all my reenactments in the garden because they made, I, I guess this is like a, my first experience of ASMR. I don't really like ASMR, but the sound that her shoes make on the like the pavement much, yeah. on everything. I loved that sound so much. So I discovered that my sister's communion shoes made the exact same sound and I used to sully them up out in the garden pretending that I was mooching through that maze. So the plot of this movie, uh, young Jennifer Connelly mm-hmm. plays 16-year-old Sarah Williams and this is a film that isn't terribly long. It's like 101 minutes. Moves at a fucking clip. It moves to such a clip that I was like, you feel almost like you're watching a sequel or episode seven of something because there's no, like the backstory is kind of, it's kind of in media res. It starts off when she's basically, you know, a teenage girl, suburban, uh, outside her gaff running around with her dog, Merlin the dog, who, by the way, is one of the dogs where I'm like, how does this dog see? There's so much hair over this dog's eyes. Kind of a sheepdog kind of yeah. type effect. Like the Jew looks. Lovely dog. Beautiful dog. Presumably not with us anymore. But, um, you know, Rest that's so really, I hadn't thought of that until yeah. now. And that's upset me. This film was made in 1986, mate. I don't <laughs> think he's still here. But, you know, who knows? It is magical. Maybe. Um, but she's milling around and she's kind of just doing like, you know, teenage girl things. She's obsessed with a book called The Labyrinth. Comes home and she is late to babysit her half-brother, Toby the baby, who cries a lot in this movie. Mm. Uh, she's very resentful of the baby. She's uh, resentful of, you know, she's a stroppy teenager. Like, I found myself watching it and being like, Jesus, she's a fucking prick. But then I was like, well, she is like a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> like, but I so. think, yeah, I think that that is kind of one of the key aspects of the film is that like you can see it by her bedroom. Like her bedroom is full of teddies and toys and like various books that like our parents possibly read to us growing up. Which, as you said, she's 
a teenage girl. She's on the cusp of like the classic Britney Spears, not a girl, not yet a woman. So she's in this really um, weird period of her life. And obviously her father has remarried. Um, in Sarah's bedroom, you see like the pictures of her mom. Um, her mom is an actress. Um, so you kind of get that sense of her like living kind of like repeat living her mom's life just to maybe feel close to her and Jim Henson kind of said as well that like he wants when he watches a film he kind of likes for it to invoke something make him think about life and the whole premise of this film is like that whole cut between childhood and moving into adulthood and there's so many different parts of it like how like every she's always like well, that's just not fair and people are like well life's not fair and like all that kind of stuff and like people in the labyrinth kind of teach her all these different things and all the characters you see them it's yeah it's a metaphor for puberty and getting yeah. into adult because like even like the parents barely register they're in like one scene at the very start when she's late and they go out you never see them again so they don't quite get to be developed i mean this isn't like wicked stepmother territory but the stepmother she is trying to get her to start dating boys though. that's the thing yeah. the, the same one is like you should be throwing these childish things away and like getting out there get yourself a man at 16 <laughs> uh, and she's having none of that man she, want, she wants her, her it's like you going toys. to the crown <laughs> so anyway oh boy. Uh, we, we, we all did crazy things when we were 16 what age were you when you went, when you went to the coronas on the pool um, we don't need to tell the whole story like early 20s I guess that's okay yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the precipice yeah, who among us hasn't, hasn't gone to a concert like for? I was kicked out of the house by my ma. Macaronas, <laughs> <laughs> go off there, <laughs> sort your life out. So, uh, real quick, she uh, incites a spell. I don't think she realizes what she's doing. It turns out because like, again, this is like it's never really commented upon that like it turns out there's an alternative dimension that can be accessed via this book by reading its spell properly. She awakens these goblins. Uh, she basically threatens to send the baby away. So she can, you know, be free and not have to deal with them. Mm. And then it transpires that actually that can happen and does happen <laughs> to her horror. But who is the leader of this entire nefarious group? It is, of course, the man King. known as David Bowie. I want my brother back, please, if it's all the same. What's said is said. But I didn't mean it. Oh, you didn't. Please, where is he? You know very well where he is. Please bring him back. Please. Sarah, go back to your room. Play with your toys and your costumes. Forget about the baby. I can't. I've brought you a gift. What is it? It's a crystal. Nothing more. But if you turn it this way, look into it. It'll show you your dreams. So, if David Bowie in a fright wig popped up in your bedroom, especially if you're a teenage girl, like it's a, it's a, it's kind of strange how it's never quite common. To, like, like I, I couldn't rec- re- reckon if he was meant to be like the avatar of temptation, the avatar of evil, the devil himself. It's kind of unclear what his motivations are in a way. Yes. Yeah, so his character actually is based on elements of Heathcliff, and uh, what's your man? Jane Eyre, Rochester. And also his leather jacket seemingly was based off Marlon Brando's in um, the, is it the wild one? Yeah, the wild one. Yeah. But yeah, he is, it is quite uncomfortable to watch sometimes the scenes with him and Jennifer Connelly in that like, 
she's a teenage girl is there like a kind of sexual motive there with him like does he constantly at the end is just like I've I've done all this stuff for you like does he want her to be his goblin bride like and there is that weird ten like kind of weird like very creepy tension in the masquerade ball as well which is a bit weird so yeah there's kind of that element of it as I've gotten older and revisited it is kind of horrible to watch it is uncomfortable particularly not to fully go into it with you know some of the speculation you know, about, speculation Bowie, about yeah. Bowie himself yeah um, um, yeah I did find that a little a little off-putting you mentioned that Michael Jackson could have been in this movie I mean, make. in fairness, Mick Jagger could have been in this movie and we could apply the same, you know, yeah. things to 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 him as well. Um, it is it is an, an odd one to take. Yeah, I, I don't fully know what his motivations are. Like. Why, why does he want the baby? Apparently, uh, the implication I got was if 13-hour deadline goes by, because yeah, cause he takes the baby and he's like, you've got 13 hours to solve my labyrinth, otherwise the baby is mine. And the implication I got was the baby will turn into a goblin. Mm. And he has a goblin army, so he's done this exactly. over centuries or millennia. So he's been doing, you know, like... Thieving kids, yeah. yeah. Like, turning them into goblins, much like in Game of Thrones. Second Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> on this show for some reason. I'm trying to imagine a more wholesome figure in the Bowie role. Daniel O'Donnell, for example. Also, Bowie's wig, I'm sorry, is horrific. I know it's iconic, but Jesus Christ, what are we doing? His whole outfit, he's wearing the most... He's got like the, the tightest from, pants uh, I have ever factory. seen. <laughs> like, wig, I don't mind so much. There's one scene where his... Um, uh, Codpiece? No, Jesus, no. He's rocking one. Um, no, where his contouring is just... And like, I'm not one really to know about contouring, but there is one particular scene where the lines on his nose are like outrageously blended and like they, the makeup department has done a terrible job to kind of blend it in um, so I thought the makeup sometimes was quite bad but the outfits I thought were great like this was the other thing as well actually I remember talking to someone recently and they were like oh uh, Labyrinth David Bowie that was uh, that your sexual awakening as like a young girl I was like what? No, like absolutely not. Like, and I was like, "What is that? Like something that is?" I'd say it a is, thing? Yeah. and it is. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I would have thought. Yeah, there's fucking David Lynch psychosexual vibes all over this thing, and Bowie's all over this thing in the first four minutes. He gets an opening song on the credits, and then straight away, like we got a montage of her going home to another David Bowie song. And by the way, every song in this film, which almost all of them are David Bowie, five of them, like everything has that kind of you know. Like that kind of like They're really 80s. extremely cheesy in 80s, yeah. but luckily, Do not you, lactose intolerant, my friends. <laughs> I mean, we, we, I said before, so the last time on the show, I teased that we would be doing one, like like a, a musical with proper songs. And that was kind of me like drawing on my youth and I haven't seen Labyrinth in forever. Uh, at least one listener to this show got in touch and was like, I have to pick a bone with you there, mate. Labyrinth is insanely overrated, especially when it comes to music. So there you go. After you dragged La La Land. I will say that La La Land, I enjoy that big number when they're on, on the sunset precipice, but overall, I don't know. But I, I did struggle with this one, guys, I'll be honest. It's a bit samey musically, I think it's a bit one-sided musically, and I think that there's way too much going on. So can I say that um, I thought I had seen this movie. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> I'd never seen this film. <laughs> I sat down to watch it on uh, on Friday night at the house to myself. Stuck it on at like seven o'clock. I was just watching it for a while, and I was just like, "No, nope, none of this is registering. None at all. Nothing 
So I was scrolling through my phone. Yeah. Oh, I I had to stop at eight o'clock because I forgot that Shamrock Rovers were playing Dundalk. Thankfully, so I got to see oh, that you goal. Didn't miss that goal exactly. Holy Moses! And it, then went back to it. Um, yeah, I I found this like obviously. So now like, I'm saying that I don't have a you know it's not a touch point in my childhood. Mm. So I'm, I'm I'm coming into it with no prior relation to relationship to it outside of like knowing some of the visuals and um, knowing dance magic dance and um just called magic dance by the way is it yeah, yeah i and the rest of the world think thought that it was called dance magic dance but it's mm-hmm. just called you know fuck it man let's hear it So yeah, everyone knows Magic Dance. It's when he throws the baby up in the air and the baby becomes a little dummy baby and all that kind of stuff. I, I did see it when I was a kid and I remember probably several times and I, I was kind of scared by it. Yeah, no, it, it, it is creepy. Um, I, I find it structurally a little bit incoherent. Like I didn't, as you said, like you kind of just get thrown into it and it, it it's not thrown it into, into it in a way where I felt very assured that the filmmakers knew the world that they were in. Um. In terms of design, like it, it's incredible. Like obviously, um, the work that Jim Henson does is amazing. The puppets are great, and and the work that they do. But from a script level, I didn't really know what was going on. I just kind of felt like it was plodding along a lot. Um, it kind of felt like a bunch of different ideas were like you know pulling at each other. Like Jim Henson had an idea for what the movie wanted to be. Bowie had an idea and then even with with the script it's like Terry Jones had an idea and it's like I wonder what did George Lucas bring to this apart from potentially the creepy connotations of a an older man trying to seduce a teenager if his Indiana Jones mm. <laughs> scripts are anything to go by um, the songs also I didn't really like I really really wanted to love this I really really wanted to be like especially like we're Christians sorry but but this is the thing I I don't want to be like I don't want to be like cruel or nothing but I think it's a big mess there's too much going on there's too many characters right there's too many ideas but I love that like I love that there's just like that this is just oh like I don't want to sound all like reality TV star about it but it's just like the journey that like you go on with her so like coming across all these characters like from watching it from when I was six or seven to watching it again like now like I still just find and maybe it is because I have such a long-standing relationship in my mind with like say the worm and the door knockers like now I relate so much to the door knocker that's really deaf with the big cheeks like um the Scottish men with the cards who are like one of us is always telling the truth oh um, those guys I love that like she gets that riddle way too quickly I, it's like show me the work so Sarah still, she's just like that after all of my watching of this film that bit flummoxes me every time and I've watched it so many times repeat being like how did she figure that out I, I had it asked to me actually I, it was funny because I was like oh this thing because it was asked to me in like school as a riddle one teacher did to us and it took us ages to get like the whole class we were is that a known riddle yeah well he he, oh. fra- he framed it as not you, have to um, do it in the, yeah. you know it was like 
two brothers live in a house and they are identical or whatever. And, you know, it's a one way leads to nothing and the other way leads to whatever. It's, the, you know, the same principle, but like, she just like, just like that. It's like, mm. sh- show me the work. Show me. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Doing the three, the three anyway. meter joke. <laughs> can I, can I, can I cut that bit out? I was going to throw to that. I was going to like, literally like, I was going to like, let's hear it. And I was going to, I was going to do the exact, like it's in my fucking notes. <laughs> Damn it. What's the three liter joke? Oh my god, you son of a bitch. Like, how do I do this now? Can I do this now? I don't think I can. Fuck it. Uh, we, we can keep all this on mic. I'm just, I, I had a really Including funny. the handcuffs. Uh, all of it, yeah. I, I had a really funny bit prepared where I was going to go, let's hear that riddle from Labyrinth. And I would have played this. Oh, 50 miles running his ass off, and I'm out here playing kids' games in the park. Hey, you want to focus on the problem at hand? Oh, shit! We got less than a minute. Throw this thing away. Look, we can't take it off and it'll detonate. Just wait, wait a second, wait a second. I got it, I got it. Exactly two gallons in here, right? Right. Leaving exactly one gallon of empty space, right? Yeah. A full five gallons here, right? Right. You pour one gallon out of five gallons into there, we have exactly four, four gallons, gallons in there. Yes. Put it in there, come on. Which, of course, is actually the four gallons bit from Die Hard 3, because that's precisely what I was thinking. Instead, the actual riddle from Labyrinth sounds like this. It keeps changing. What am I supposed to do? Well, the only way out of here is to try one of these doors. One of them leads to the castle at the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to... Boom, Certain death. Ooh. Which one is which? Uh, we can't tell you. Why not? Um, we don't know. But they do. Oh, then I'll ask them. Uh, no, you can't ask us. You can only ask one of us. Mm-hmm. It's in the rules. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. That's a rule, too. He always lies. I do not. I tell the truth. Oh, what a lie. Oh. <laughs> He's the liar. <laughs> All right. Answer yes or no. Would he tell me that this door leads to the castle? So riddles, yeah? Tough times. I mean, like, I, to me, the fact that this was written by Terry Jones of Monty Python, it makes a lot of sense because even those characters are, like, those characters are almost exactly the same as characters that pop up in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm. Uh, there's getting across the bridge with the comical guy guarding it. In this case, it's Sir Didymus, the lovely, <gasps> lovable fox dog thing. My favourite character. He's very good because his I whole gimmick is him. that he's not threatening whatsoever but thinks he's, like, dashing and thinks he's in control the whole time. When he, he says, Ambrosius, I won't feed you forever or i'll never feed you again and ambrosius just like like puts the pause on the brakes there most relatable moments in cinema history exactly (laughs) but like i just love him and even in the final scene actually when sir jadimus when sarah is back in her bedroom and when he goes my lady should you need us and then she's like yeah and he's like Hmm. always gets my I was gonna um, actually, always gets my I was gonna say down. to you like you know like let's jump ahead to the end of the film real quick it does have a happy ending because it's a kids movie she does end up back in her bedroom she does save the day and she's gonna put childish things away but her friends that she made along the way oh, pop up and are like if you ever need us it gets me every time I was actually imagining this I was like I wonder if Zara had him in balls her eyes out crying. Every her, her line time. that she says to Hoggle do you, do you know it? oh Jesus yeah um, I'll always need you Hoggle I don't know when and I won't know why, but I'll always need you. And then they just start dancing. And every single time, like, I think I watched this film maybe three months ago. Again, like, and 
still the tear ducts. I just. will say for a film that I don't quite love, I think it's a lovely ending. Oh no, that 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 is like they they nailed that bit. But I think like aside of the whole really creepy aspect of the like menacing um, potential pederast goblin king. Absolutely. <laughs> like if you cut that whole aspect of it and you just take this film for like Sarah going through the labyrinth trying to get her brother but also like reaching these different life lessons of like realising okay life's not fair and then also Hoggle says something to her and it actually I only heard it properly for the first time on my last watch where he says something about um, I think it's after Darth gives him the peach to give to Sarah and or maybe it's before when they're coming out of the oubliette and he's just like oh, well, like in this labyrinth, like everyone is just thinking about themselves and everyone's working for themselves here. And it's like, that's just like life. Like like everyone is just like concerned about themselves. And then that bit when she's talking about to Hoggle and to Didymus and it's like, look, I don't know when I'll need you. Like it just kind of shows the whole uh, precariousness of life and how, like not to be grim about it but very much you're by yourself and you have to navigate life and all the obstacles like it is such a huge metaphor for life and like coming to terms with like how you navigate things and Sarah as we see like with that riddle I think that riddle is such a clear example of her uh, how precocious she is but then that whole precociousness is very much quashed in that masquerade scene where she's like first scene where there's no puppets it's just her and Bowie all the people around them are like these very upper class people and they're very disparaging of like the goblin kind of culture that she's become accustomed to and surrounded by in the labyrinth and she's like it's the first moment where you see her like very dissatisfied by her surroundings and she's realizing that she's in this very um adult world and like David Bowie fucking waltz in her like she's not happy with it and that's why she smashes it and I think like the realm with the with the chair she doesn't literally like smash it but she does because she gets home also uh, it, prior to the moment at the end where she has that moment in her room and, and we hit the credits dancing I do love her giving her brother that she's rescued her stepbrother I love her giving her Lancelot, Lancelot oh, there Jesus. you know I want him to look after you now type thing again those elements, I think, are great. I think, you know, as a narrative, I think it works. I just think that the way, what the narrative is packed and filled with just didn't quite work for my brain. I want to talk about Bowie. So let's hear from him again first. That's the thing Right, Bowie, uh, I'll go to you first. Good, bad, indifferent. Um, Acting, singing, the whole works. I think surprisingly bad. I, I wonder about his performance. So, um, obviously David Bowie is a very good actor. There is decades worth of, you know, um, movies that attest to that. But in this, I 
think that he seems like really disinterested. Um, even in like some of his like his uh, song and dance numbers, he seems to be very very going through the motions. I imagine this movie was difficult in that they always say never work with animals, children. And I also imagine you could extend that to like 40 different puppets mm. being like, there's so much that can go wrong in every single shot, particularly when they're like going into wide shots. I imagine that you would have had to film a lot to get the end product. Um, I don't find him enchanting the way he should be. Like David Bowie could have went into like a chipper and made an order and would have been alluring and enigmatic. And mm. this, um, I don't find that at all. But I don't think he is supposed to be charming, though. Like, he's a villain. He is, but he, he's supposed to be, you know, as Dave said, kind of like a devil or, you know, the snake in the Garden of Eden. Like, the, even mm. the, even the, the peach that he gives to, to Hoggle is, you know, similar enough to, to the apple. He's trying to certainly seduce her by, yeah. you know, well, well means in that scene. Um, he's fine. Yeah, I, I, I expected more as well. I think he gets by on being David Bowie. I don't he doesn't think, seem to be having fun. No, he doesn't, which is bizarre. And the material ain't great. Like the dialogue in this movie isn't very strong. It's very basic. Uh, the, also, like everything is kind of affected by really bad ADR, like in dubbing. Like it's <laughs> really strange. Like, like even like at the opening sequence when uh, Sarah's in her gaff and she's talking to her parents, it's so clearly like post production. Mm. Like it's as if the voiceover with the dodges. But even with her, like it's almost as if like she was overdubbed into it, and uh, like she was like an Italian actress or something. But she's not. It's Jennifer Connelly, and you know, even like you, you could make the argument that young Jennifer Connelly's had a better career than adult Jennifer Connelly. I don't know. I mean, like she's been around for quite some time, and she's always had a certain presence. And this is obviously very early in her kind of stages as an actor. But like, I think it's post Once Upon a Time in America, is it? Like, uh, maybe around the time. I'm not understanding. She in that movie? Am I misremembering? <laughs> I, I saw it one time. It's four hours long. I'm not going back to that one. Let me <laughs> tell you. But no, yeah, Bowie kind of left me wanting, but not in the way that he wanted me to be wanting. <laughs> He's fine. Like, like he gets by because it's Bowie, but he's been better in other things for sure. Just when you were saying um, if someone else could have played him, of all the people that were kind of mentioned, like Prince, Michael Jackson, um, someone that I kind of think of, and maybe it's just my own personal preference or someone of that era, I would have seen Peter Gabriel. I always find like Peter Gabriel has like something magical about him, particularly like obviously with his music videos at the time. He seems to have a bit more of a you know, a, a scamp element to him, like that. I feel like a Goblin King should. He should be a bit of a trickster. He should be, you know. But I think in that this Bowie seems like almost unnecessarily self serious. But I, I don't know. Like, I actually quite enjoy Bowie in this film. Like, I think his acting is pretty good. But I don't really, I don't watch a lot of films. But I would still kind of hold that um, opinion that I think he's very convincing because of his character. Like, he's the only human in the Goblin City. Like he's surrounded by goblins, so he doesn't really ever have kind of human interaction. So I suppose that would kind of make you a bit sour. And he's not meant to be like this very like likable or charming person. But I'm still like I was I always remembered like when I was younger watching it being terrified of him whenever he would appear. And even like what you're saying, like having to like film it. I was watching, there's um, a documentary that came out kind of like during the promotion of the film called Inside the Labyrinth. And there's um, a gas like part in that documentary where, because um, you know the way like he's like juggling the glass balls all the time. They got like some, uh, what's it, Michael Moshen, who um, is like this 
prime hand juggler and the scenes of like the behind scenes of them filming the scene the scenes with him like doing these hand bits like so Michael has his head like resting on the back of Bowie's back like trying not to be seen like doing all this stuff and when you see it in the documentary you're like Jesus that hand looks so fake like that very (laughs) clearly like like looks like someone else's hand but your man Michael was just like yeah like we have to do that because like you see them like doing it and like he's dropping balls left right and centre and like the juggler is really annoyed with himself but like Bowie is like an absolute champ and I think it was um Henson was like god yeah and like we had to film those scenes quite a number of times but David he was a trooper. He just kept going. He was like really into it. You're saying uh, someone of the era who else could play Bowie. I, I have two words for you, pal. Bob Geldof, yeah? Oh, wow. Yeah. Get Bob Geldof in no. there. The hair is already purring. He'd be like, give me back your, give me back my fucking baby. Yeah? Do, you know, do you know who else I thought of? And just to go back to a previous episode, and Tim Curry. 100%. <gasps> yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Actually, Kevin Klein was also in the running. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I don't know if he can sing. And, oh, he can. Can he? What well, isn't he in like that bougie uh, 1920s musical Chicago the lovely oh I never saw that one I haven't seen it add it to the list (laughs) add it to the list Uh, yeah so listen I mean I guess you know let's talk about a modern day because they've announced like apparently a sequel has been written to this thing by the way and um, Duncan Jones said he'll have nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. as he often says went to do with his dad like in terms of uh, biopics and stuff Um, but supposedly Fede Alvarez uh, was once aligned to direct this one, but he's off doing other stuff. Is now. he of Evil Dead remake? And he's Don't doing, breathe. yeah, and he's doing a film which is basically apparently like The Shining in the White House. He's got that coming up. He also made The Girl in the Spider's Web. So um, an awful film that we went to see. Not together. a very good film. Yeah, not great. Oh um, so I guess if if Labyrinth was made today as a remake, which I'm kind of shocked that it hasn't been remade. Uh, this isn't my choice, by the way, but. Based on what Zara just said about the whole ball juggling, you know, kind of it's hard to get it right type thing. You got to get Mads Mikkelsen involved, don't you? <laughs> Although he's not my choice. Mads, Is he a good juggler? Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, there's an amazing anecdote about Hannibal, the TV show, which is amazing, of course, and go watch it, everybody. <laughs> and how, like, they, they did this this uh, egg flip trick where, like, you're in the kitchen. It's a Benny Hanna thing. And you flip it up in the air and you turn your spatula on the side and the egg comes down and you break it in two as it goes along the thing. And there's this incredible anecdote about how, like, because he does it in an episode. Like, it shows a montage in his kitchen because, obviously, amazing cook. Mm. And uh, Janice Poon is the name of the uh, the... Uh, cookery person food stylist food stylist for the show and she would always put up uh, these incredible really detailed uh, summaries of every episode and what was made recipes uh, recipes (laughs) summaries summaries (laughs) summaries of food summary of food summary of making the food you can tell that I my the best thing Jeff Hanready the best thing I I, I can cook is a pizza so Um, and she, that's when you call the pizza place to order it. <laughs> no, I can, like, listen, give me some credit. I can put that thing in the oven, you know? Uh, so basically, she talked about how she was so nervous on the day of this thing because she had to coordinate this maneuver. And she was like, I've called in, like, three of the best Benny Hanna chefs in the world who have can't do this trick. It's so hard to do. It's probably going to take us hours and hours to get it. And she goes, of course, this. I don't, I don't need to tell you that Mads did it in the very first try. And then she was baffled and was like, that's clearly a fluke. Or you've been, you've been practicing for like a week or something. And he's like, no, no, I can do it again. And then he just did it again. And she was like, what the fuck? How did you do this? And he went, I was a juggler in my youth. 
Because of course he was. Because Mads Mikkelsen can do literally anything. He's also an incredible dancer. He is an amazing dancer. Really? Oh yes. yeah. There, you, you Google Mads Mikkelsen dancing, you will have a good time. Murder on the dance floor. There's. It's ridiculous. He used to be like part of a dance troupe. Of course he in, was in Denmark. Yeah. There's videos of him, and he it's it's genuinely like. I can't believe this person is doing this. Because even when you watch Hannibal, I think like there's one scene where he where he leaps over a countertop. Yeah, and it's one of the most graceful things I've ever seen. It's in a slow mo. It's when he's fighting Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, in the kitchen. yeah, yeah. and yeah. The, the way he clears it is just like, oh god. Oh, he's unbelievable. Like there's nothing that man cannot do. However, can he sing? I probably imagine he can though. Oh, sure, probably. I'd love to see Mads Mikkelsen pop up in like Mamma Mia three or something. Oh, he will. Actually, uh, with that Mads Mikkelsen like dancing thing, actor come dancer. Do you know who worked on the choreography for Labyrinth? I do not. So when I was watching Inside Labyrinth, there's a scene where the choreographer is uh, instructing Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie as they're doing the masquerade dance. And I was looking at the woman who is telling them what they need to do. And I was like... She is so familiar. Like, who is that? And then I was kind of doing a bit of research and just to see if I was going mad. Turns out that Dr. Beverly Crusher of Star Wars Next Generation, um, Gates McFadden, what I, Star Wars, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Two fan bases furious with you right now. Yeah. Um, so Star Trek next. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So Dr. Beverly Crusher choreographed Labyrinth. Also, sorry. Trivia corner over here. <laughs> oh, I just have loads. Um, so do you know the fireys? Oh, sorry. Also, we didn't really talk about the music of this film that much. The fiery song, Chilly Day. Chilly Down. What is going on in that song? Unbelievable song. Do you want to hear it? Let's hear it. Yeah, sorry, this song is just cultural appropriation. Isn't it? It's cultural appropriation of the song. No? I don't think so. This is like some kind of weird cod reggae thing. And these characters are like, what the fuck? Like, this is not a million miles away from the crows from Dumbo. Just me? Um, I didn't immediately get that. No, I think I didn't you're, you're going to say who one of the singers is, though. Yeah, one of the. Cancelling Labyrinth here, guys. Ugh. Go watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fucking mate. Will. Um, So, one of the puppeteers in the fireys is Kevin Clash who plays Elmo so when you hear then the um, the fireys when they're chasing Sarah as she's climbing up the wall when Hoggle comes together you can hear a proto type of Elmo's voice one of them has the exact voice of Elmo and with that um, this is actually something else I learned that I thought blew my mind um, when they were filming that scene because like, of, like that I think is the worst example of special effects in the film yeah, so it's they they, really bad. they 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 filmed it because they had black velvet all over the set, and then they tried to obviously like not super backlight imposed, it, but yeah, like, super yeah. it, it looks it's it looks very dodgy. bad. Like, um, but I learned that 
they use black velvet because black velvet is the darkest material in the world. <laughs> there you That's go. So metal. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to mention that Danny John Jules, cat from Red Dwarf and of Blade Two fame, is one of the chilies, one of the oh, singers. I didn't know that. He was in Blade Two. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I feel like yeah, we didn't talk a lot about the music of this one because I just don't think it's that strong. However, can I just quote a line from that song? By the way, please do. Yes. <laughs> Chili down with the fire gang. Think small with the fire gang. Bad hep with the fire gang. Bad hep. What are they saying? Bad hep. If you hang with the chili gang, are you going to get hepatitis? Ba- <laughs> that, that, that was the first word that came to my mind. I'm not going to lie. Bad hep. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'm just I'm calling an audible here, guys. Okay. We're going to move into the wrap up here. We're going. We're I think it's. Cast. I think it's okay. I I love the narrative. I think it ends well. Zara adores this movie. You're not terribly won over. I think. It, I think it looks great. Um, just to to quickly like the the design for like Ludo. I love the fact that they put someone in a gigantic so suit. He's, He's so sad. He's so sad. The uh, the the gatekeeper with the axe who's like you know kind of carved into the door. Um, when she falls down that shoot of <gasps> hands, hands and stuff, it's like. Like a, a, a bit of like God of War where you're climbing out of Hades. He chose um, down. I think there's just it, too it looks, much. I think there's just too much in the film. It, yeah. Which I sounds think, like a really amazing but bad music. What about, yeah, but like what about a little, uh, attack on a movie you were too creative but I just think rein in the ideas, concentrate on your characters a bit more. This is me giving Jim Henson some advice here. I think you're uh, so wrong. Jones. It's unbelievable. Dave, Dave, they're both dead. Oh no. <laughs> okay, well listen, you know, from beyond the grave. Okay, so listen, uh, recast this film. If this film comes out today in 2020, who you got for the Bowie role? Who should play the Bowie role? I have a couple of choices I've here. I've got two choices. I have two choices as well. So what I'm doing here is, and I, I think we're all pretty happy with our choices, are we? So Can I, can I say that I've, I have two d- different castings? So I have my cynical... If you want to make bang at the same, box office, same. Would. Are we, are we all doing the same thing my, here? What I would, what I would okay. like to see. I'll go first. I okay. have my, I have my. If and I also you... have directors for both. Oh wow! Okay, oh. I have so Labyrinth twenty twenty. I have if you're doing a gender swap here, and if you're changing Jareth into a woman, there's only one woman for the job, guys, and that woman is Lady Gaga. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But if you're keeping it as a bloke, it's the weekend. Oh what? wow. Okay, so different. Better singers. Well, not better singers, but like give them better songs. You need proper fucking singers. And they're both seductive. They're both contemporary. They can both sing. They can both act. Weekend nailed the performance as himself in Uncut Gems. And Lady Gaga was phenomenal in The Star is Born. I mean, yeah. I think both of them would work absolutely perfectly. Yeah, no, I don't They also agree. don't need to do that much. They only need to be about like four or five Yeah, you scenes. kind of just have to show up, sing a song. Yeah, it's basically the... Someone else is going to twirl the balls for exactly, you, so... Yeah. It's basically well, the, uh, the pinhead... Michael's probably dead now. It's the pinhead from Hellraiser of, uh, you know, kind of like... And who do you have for Sarah? Okay, so... I have one that is, like, so Do, do you want to do, you do your... I'll do uh, mine. I'll do your Jareth. Yes. Uh, okay, right, right. okay, so I have two. One, my, my big money draw-in. For Bowie. Yeah. Donald Glover. Oh, okay. Interesting, yeah. Or, if I'm being, like, true to me, uh, Beck. Beck? Beck. Yeah. That's an interesting shout. I think would be a phenomenal Darth. Can do like those really cheesy pop numbers. Is really skinny, so he'll get into those leggings. He's more of a hoggle for me. Eamon Dunphy is hoggle. Everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on. This fella, Jarrett, is a cud. <laughs> got Don Glover and Beck. I've got Lady Gaga on the weekend. Is a kid. Higgs, who you got? I'm very excited that we none of us have any overlap. Um, in my cynical version, Harry Styles 
is Jareth. 100% I can see it. Yeah. I would not watch that. And <laughs> in, in my other version, I'm taking Janamine. Yeah. Oh, An incredible yes. actor, presence, yes. sing, I can think do pretty much any genre I think Harry wants. Styles is actually a perfect call. Oh, God, no. Yeah. yeah. That's, he's a good actor. He's skinny. He's what the kids want. He's androgynous. Box office. I'm thinking this. I've, I've got my Hollywood producer hat on over here for for for, for this one. Yeah. So okay. who is that one directed by? Um. Okay. My, my cynical one. Because even though I know, like, it, you know, it's not a. It's Ladies not and gentlemen, a, he nailed cats. Tom Hooper <laughs> is back. <laughs> not too far off it. So even though it's not a, it's not a, it's not an English movie. You know, it was made in Hollywood essentially. I feel like it does have a, a, a certain Britishness about it between like Terry Jones writing and Bowie's presence, even like a lot of the characters like Didymus is like oh, so a legend. I couldn't take Tom <laughs> Tom Hooper because he's been fired from Hollywood. Um <laughs> He's in director jail. I feel like Joe Wright wants another swing at like a big kind well, of That's a really like good that. shout, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I think and I hope it doesn't happen. But I think th- this, my cynical view, is going to make a lot of money. Guy Ritchie? <laughs> hey, he brought Aladdin to a billion at the box office, guys. Did he that's do Aladdin? Aladdin? Yeah, over a billion. And well, that's a Disney movie, though. Aladdin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sequel, just greenlit. Over a billion. That's, 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 yeah, okay. True story. Wow, that's one director, Joe Wright. Who's the other one? Oh, um, for, for, my, for my other director, I went a little left field. I went for uh, Anna Lily Amrapour, who made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and The Bad Batch. She just has like a very strong visual style. Hasn't really like knocked it. Well, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is amazing. The Bad Batch is interesting looking, but I'm basically just looking for someone to have some fun with it. I'll take Werner Herzog for mine. Oh my God. As for who plays Sarah in mine, um, I feel like we're going to have to age her up because I think ultimately... Age up from 16? I think so because although I think this this person... What? People who are 16 these days... Are earning more money than us on Instagram. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they, I feel like they have to go down. My, down. No, my take on it is this, right? My take on it is that this song is this film is musically imbalanced, and much like Aladdin getting a song for Jasmine, Sarah needs to have some songs. Needs to be someone who can sing and act, do both mm. things, and that's why in my version of Labyrinth twenty twenty, Selena Gomez is playing Sarah. Oh no, that would be a flop. No, no. Yep, Selena Gomez and The Weekend. Book it. That would be there's really like, awkward. Yeah, there's like it's it, perfect. It, how do, how do you structure a movie where what well, Selena Gomez is like in college and she's she looks like very young. She's got a very young face. It kind so of is she still going to be playing young? Oh, you can use digital effects. I don't know. <laughs> We're aging her. Who else? Um, I have one for you, and it's it's in my cynical category because I couldn't really think of it, but but I think it's actually a generally a great choice. Julia Butters. Oh wow! From Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <gasps> you like that one? That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going, that that, that's one. aging down quite quite a bit, but I feel like she does seem like a bit of an ingenue, yeah, or a savant or whatever the word is. Um, all right, fair enough, Zara. So my cynical one is Millie Bobby Brown. Stranger Things. Yeah, I think that there would be a crossover with audience. That's a shout, actually. That that should have been my cynical choice. <laughs> that I was convinced that was going to be your cynical choice, and then my other choice, if Beck is Goblin King. Kind of thought as a very left field one, Wise Blood as Sarah, especially if you want to give her songs. And she's got the long brown hair. I mean, I love her album. I, I don't know if she can act, but... I don't know if she can act. I, I would go watch that film. Um, My my non-cynical choice in my Anna Lily Amrapour directed Janelle Monet uh, starring is Shahadi Wright-Joseph from Us. 
uh, Sarah. Okay, yeah. She was very good in that I movie. I thought she was great in that, so... Okay, I guess in closing, uh, before we reveal... Can our... I give you some trivia? Sure, why not? I have some absolutely... Fun. I have a Ludo, by the way. <gasps> I've got a Hoggle, and I've got a Sir Diddy Miss. Oh my God, <laughs> go yes! On. Go, go, go. <laughs> so, okay, I'll finish out my cynical one. And you're, you're going to grimace at this. So, Joe Wright directing. Harry Styles. I need a Hoggle. Who's a friend of Harry Styles? Liam Payne. James Corden. <gasps> <gasps> yes. Ludo. Contractually, this has to be given to Andy Serkis. <laughs> and Sir Didymus, Ray Fiennes. Fair enough, yeah. They're not bad. You yeah. could also have Toby Kebbell in the... Um, I would have Andy Serkis as uh, Didymus. Really? Yeah. He, does, he doesn't... He, I, like, he, I don't know if he can do the voice enough for Didymus. Andy Serkis can do any voice. I feel also, though, like he, he, he just has to be the big person. It's like, who's, who, who's the biggest character in this movie? I'll be him. Ray Fiennes would actually be a pretty good Jareth. Um, mm, yeah, too, possibly nah, too, nah, old too old now. Zara, one last piece of trivia before can we I, wrap can this I finish up. My oh my God. Oh, I thought you were done. No, I said I had picks this for is, all of them. This is turning into like a I'm, production I'm, I'm, meeting. I'm, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm finishing it. So, Janelle, I know Jareth, Sarah, Shahadi, Wright, Joseph, Ludo, Jeffrey Wright. The voice, the husk. I want that gravelly, <laughs> gravelly voice. Sterdidimus, I'm taking Henry Golding. And Hoggle, I struggle with. I can't, I can't really figure out a Hoggle. I was like, I struggled Keenan as well. Thompson, I thought about uh, David Hyde Pierce, Niles from Frasier. For Hoggle? Yeah. Oh, okay, oh. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Changed the game. All right, that's I'm done casting. Okay, finally. <laughs> One last piece of trivia, Zara. A few little bits. I'll oh. do them really quick. I'll do them really quick, I promise. Um... So, in 1997, Labyrinth of Jareth Masquerade Ball was founded, and this is an annual cosplay masquerade ball held in Los Angeles every year where people dress up as characters from Labyrinth. This year, it's happening on August 14th and 15th. How are we going? Well, tickets go from $35 to $400. Um, also, the line, you remind me of the babe from Magic Dance. Is a direct reference um, of an exchange between Cary Grant and Shirley Temple in the 1947 film *The Bachelor* and the Bobby. So- My handwriting went really weird. Soccer, soccer, uh, boxer. Who knows? Uh, there's a labyrinth board game. If anyone wants to uh, get it for me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> there's a graphic novel as well, isn't there? Oh, hundred p. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, do I have any other little tidbits? Um, Nope, yeah, I think that's Very fine. good. Okay, real quick, uh, your favourite Bowie acting performance, Twin Peaks for me, obviously. Yeah, Agent Philip Jeffries in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. He, like, it's such a small role, but, like, so, so iconic. yeah. That white suit with the, with the kind of, like, Hawaiian shirt. Just his line delivery on, who do you think that is there? When he's, like, pointing a coop, and then, you know, later on when he's just, like, screaming in that uh, Argentinian hotel. Um, so that's one... Zoolander. I was going to say Zoolander, Obviously. yeah. <laughs> I think like Zoolander is just like chock-a-block with oh, um, cameos and most of them date it really badly. Like, you know, Fred Durst, Paris Hilton, Lance Bass. Don't you have a go at Fred Durst? Donald Trump. There's like Donald <laughs> and Melania at the very start, like they're talking about Zoolander. Oh, God. Um, the Let's Dance needle drop. You know, it's just like a, a short sting of it so is good. absolutely perfect. I believe um, also da- I could be of service. David Bowie when... Uh, uh, Derek Zoolander fails to take the underwear off with his hands and his trousers. Oh, and David Bowie just lifts his hands, his hand to his eyes, being like, "Oh, it's 
so I can't good. believe that you left out Billy Zane from the list of cameos. Well, oh, yeah. I, was, I was talking the funniest about part of the cameos film. that have aged badly. The Billy Zane cameo still continues to be remarkable. <laughs> Sorry, can we also Billy Zane. give a shout He's out? trying to help you out. Huh? Billy Zane, he's trying to help you out. He's your friend. M- mine? No, he's all of our friends, Zara. This is the, this oh, is the friend of us all. <laughs> Who do you want to give a shout out to? <laughs> Two. David Bowie as Nikola Tesla in The Prestige. He sounds like Pierce Brosnan in that movie. So funny. Also, him just walking through electric currents is amazing for him to then light the light bulb with Hugh Jackman. And then also, um, David Bowie as Andy Warhol in the Basquiat film. The wig is so funny. Like, but he's convincing. All right. He just looks like him. Oh my God, we're never getting out of this labyrinth, are we? <laughs> no. no. Um, I think, what, was it one of his, his first acting role, lead role, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Nicholas Rogue, sci-fi. Mm. Um, he's incredible in it. Like, he's an alien in it, and he's, you know, this, obviously, just like, English guy in New Mexico walking around. He he looks otherworldly in it. He's, like, rake thin. Apparently, he was in the midst of one of his coke addictions. He's got, like, this amazing orange hair with, like, this shock of blonde at the front. Ooh. Um, a very, very, very striking film, and he is genuinely fantastic in it. All right, we escaped the labyrinth. Zara Hedman, thank you so, so much for coming in. Well, look, lads, should you need me? <laughs> Just call. <laughs> <laughs> As for next time on No Popcorn, we will be doing a film that neither myself nor David Higgins have seen, which seems somehow impossible, and yet it is. And it's this film, by the way. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. Tell me why you left. Tell me and I'll leave you alone. From Curtis Hansen, the director of LA Confidential, and producer Brian Grazer. Eminem, Brittany Murphy, Mackay Pfeiffer, and Kim Basinger. Eight Mile. That's right. Sweaty palms all over the studio. It's Eight Mile. I've never seen this film. I've never seen it either. Eighteen years on, I don't know how I've never seen this film, but I've never seen this film. How are you feeling about this choice? I think it's a good choice. Uh, we ha- we had it down on our list, and I, until you text me saying you're like, I've never seen this film, I was like, Oh yeah, I've also never seen this film. I think I just assume I've seen some things, much like Labyrinth today. <laughs> Clearly had never seen it. I I probably consumed a lot of it by osmosis. I'm sure I've seen like the battle rap scene and mm. bits and bobs, but yeah, looking forward. I feel like I can to probably piece together the entire Curtis Hansen, Curtis Hansen, the late Curtis Hansen directed. Michael Shannon's in this movie. What? Michael- oh, well, now I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. Michael Shannon is an eight mile. Yes, and until then, we will discuss all that next time. But for now, that was Labyrinth. This was No Popcorn. My name is Dave Hanready. There will be no encore every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Here's some more music from Labyrinth. Bye bye.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.